the title of the message is Yet. Yet. An absolutely remarkable word. Yet. Psalm chapter 2 is a triumphant psalm of victory, of absolute, unrestrained, glorious winning. Look what it says. Why do the nations rage and the people meditate on a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against His anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord mocks them. Then He speaks to them in His anger. He terrifies them in His fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of Yahweh, he said to me. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like a potter's vessel. So now, O kings, show insight. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in Him. Holy and gracious God, may Your Holy Spirit give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that with the eyes of our hearts enlightened, we may know the hope to which Christ has called us, the riches of His glorious inheritance among us, and the greatness of His power for those who believe. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. I must tell you an honest truth. I don't know about you, but if I'm in any contest, I want to win. I want to win. I want to be on the winning side. And I've gotten good news for all of you this morning. As Christians... You are on the winning side. That's what this verse, this text of Scripture is about. This verse of Scripture describes in the Bible the ultimate triumph. You can call that the title too. The ultimate triumph. What is what we have just celebrated in the Easter season? The triumph of Christ over the grave, over sin and over death, who reigns victoriously. You see, the ultimate triumph that is spoken of in this text speaks of the ultimate conquest of the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Woodrow Wilson once said, I had rather temporarily fail with a cause that must ultimately succeed than to temporarily succeed with a cause that must ultimately fail. He was one of the worst presidents in this country, without question. In fact, probably was the worst president in the country until the late 70s. But I want you to think about it. I'd rather temporarily fail 
in a cause that must ultimately win. There is no, I, I sat on the side of the bed with my wife yesterday, struck with a, that black dog, Winston Churchill called it, of depression hit me so hard yesterday. And I struggle with that. I see somebody for it. It's real. I struggle with it. Not being able to be the man I want to be. And all of those things. And I sat on the side of the bed and I said, it would be to the benefit of the journey and to me and to our family to just stop because I can't do it. And that is the basis from where this comes from. Though we fail, we still will win. A righteous man may fall seven times, but he will get up seven times. And Larry, what she said is you need to go talk to Larry and let him straighten you out. Wake him up. You know this song. Some of you will start humming it. Have faith in God. He's on His throne. Have faith in God. He watches o'er His own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. It's our truth, isn't it? It's our story. In this psalm, it is a psalm of prophecy. We studied all the types of psalms back in the spring. This is a psalm of prophecy. But what it is prophesying is the ultimate triumph of the Lord in this world. The ultimate triumph of the Lord in this world. And it is, a, it is, the, kind of, it is the kind of thing that tells us we have great, great hope. And so I want to break the passage into four voices. There are four voices that are speaking in this psalm. And they are saying some very specific things. So the first voice is the voice of what the sinful people say. The voice of what the sinful people say. It says here in verses 1 and 2, Why do the nations rage and the people meditate on a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together. We ask that question. But it is the voice of the sinful people. And you see, I want you to understand something. This voice is a voice, are you listening? Is a voice of consternation. It's a voice of consternation. It's a voice that, that is, number letter A, a violent rage. It's a violent rage. Why do the heathen rage, it says in the King James? Now, what are they, why do they rage? What are they, what, what have they, what are they raging about? Well, have you ever seen anybody rage? Oh, I have. Have you ever seen anybody just go into a rage? Do you know why people get into a rage? I can tell you why they get into a rage. Here it is. Because they're out of control. Now, the difference between us and, and all the other creatures of the earth is we have a spirit of self-control. You don't have to get angry. You don't have to choose to be upset. You don't have to choose to be offended. You don't have to do that. But nobody makes you do it. And the reality of it is here, people lose control. But I'm going to tell you, a lot of good people are raging because they're not in control. It's not that they're out of control. They're not in control. They fill their minds with the junk 
that they have no business filling their minds of. The Bible is so clear to tell us what our minds are to be set upon. I have a friend in West Texas. She is one of the ladies. Uh, her name is uh, Skeet Workman. And uh, Skeet was on the front lines of the Roe versus Wade uh, issue and getting abortion banned. And I mean, she, she, and if, if she listens to this sermon, she'll say amen because she's got, she's, her breath, she's stronger than goat's breath. I mean, you don't unfriend her or delete her or cancel your email or your iPhone number with her because she will find you. And she wants you to know every single thing that's under the rocks and under the carpet. Everything. So that we're a more informed society. And she's a good and godly woman. But she has spent, I taught her in seminary. She's like a grandmother, but I taught her in seminary, and it's like, you are like Martha, worried of many, many things. And she said, you, Brother James, have your head in the clouds, and you're of no earthly good. Sometimes you folks say things that stick. That one stuck. But I beg to differ. I'd be no good if I did anything else than what I'm doing. They don't write the song, There's Within My Heart a Melody. Jesus whispers, sweeting it. I wish they'd write a song, There's Within My Heart a Sermon Outline. Blah, blah, blah. People are out of control today and they don't know what to do. Matthew McConaughey, you know, all right, all right, all right. Matthew McConaughey's having a live event next week called The Green Light. It's got a national bestseller. Good old boy from Texas, can't help it, except that he's a big old, he's like the mascot for the Texas University at Austin. And, uh, but he's going to talk about how that we've just come out of two years of total, total mess, and now we can start breathing again, moving forward again, and, and people are going to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars to listen to this stuff. And he's a good guy, drives a Lincoln and lives in an Airstream trailer. But that's not how you get everything back in control. Being out of control is consternation. Have you ever noticed that a man, when he's in an argument and he starts to lose, his voice gets louder? Even preachers, when their pulpit, when their points are weak, we put in our notes says, weak point, pound pulpit. That makes it real then. But it's a weak point. Is he awake? Okay. Now, why do people rage today? There's so much war and there's so much hatred. There's so much inflammation of worry and anxiety in the hearts of men. The question is asked in the text, why do the people rage? Well, if you think about what's happening in our world today, we truly have come to a place for the first time. We are afraid of what we know. Now, college uni and universities are having to deal with something where a computer can write a full-size term paper, footnoted, grammatically perfect for a student with one sentence or a subject and be totally relevant. It is the death of academia. All of you who have always talked about and said, you know, we just don't need to have all those smart people. Well, I want you to know something. You're not. I assume they will eventually get AI and some churches, up, probably up, those guys that have water slides behind their pulpits, they'll have uh, 
they'll have uh, AI, uh, artificial intelligence preachers. They already got artificial intelligence. But they have artificial intelligence preachers. The only difference is the Spirit will not indwell that. But it'll happen and you'll see it. I'll bet you see it in a year. I bet you see it in a year. We're afraid of what we know. A French philosopher once said, There is no exit from the human dilemma. Winston Churchill said, Never give up, never give up, never, never, ever give up. But on his deathbed, he says, Oh, our problem is but before us and beyond us. Our problems are beyond us, were his last words. And he died without knowing the one who died for him. This is a violent rage, but it's a voice of vicious rebellion, let her be. There's this rage, and right under the rage is the word rebellion. All the kings of the earth set themselves. They square their jaws. They set themselves, and they rule, and they take counsel together against the law of God. They do it against His anointed, it says in Psalm chapter 2, verse 2. That is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the answer to the question in verse 1 is found in verse 2. Why do they rage? Because they have rejected the Lord Jesus in rebellion. The fear, the pain, the war, the death that we face in this country and around the world is because of the rejection of Jesus Christ. It is not because God made it heaven happen or the devil made it happen. It's because men's hearts are hard. Jesus Christ came to this world and He split the centuries in two. He came down in the Roman world of government. He came into a Greek world of culture. And He came into a Hebrew world of spirituality. And every one of them, the Romans... The Greeks and the Jews rejected Him. They rejected Him as Christ just as there is no place for Christ today in the public marketplace. In the assembly, there is no place. In the culture, there's no place. And in, sadly, some churches with a planted cross on its steeple have no place for the living God for either the book or the blood of the Lamb. All in the name of inclusiveness, all in the name. Listen, churches can't function without money. So if you can't get it preaching the Word, you've got to get it somewhere else. We, you cannot even mention the name Christ in academia without being laughed at. That's that syncretism I mentioned before. Let me tell you what syncretism is. I learned this in missions class in seminary. With Justice Anderson, you go over to a, a, a church, a, a country like, let's say, like I've been to Monado, Indonesia, to go teach for New Orleans Seminary. Went over there, and they don't do church like we do in Texas. They don't, they're Baptists. Uh, they're Indonesian Baptists. They eat dogs. That's, but uh, other than that, I had hot dog while I was there too. And I didn't know what it was. They just said, just eat it. I did. Bow wow. I showed them my dogs, they said, too big. So you could feed a family with that one that's at home. Now, she's 100 pounds, huge mongus. Brothers and sisters, syncretism is where we go overseas, and, and, you do, and you, we all do this. You go overseas and you make those people worship like you worship at home. 
That's not their culture. That's not the way they are. You give them the book, you show them how to be regulative principle, and then you let them worship. Well, I just never sang out of a hymn book with shaped notes. I have. Well, I've just never done this this way. Somebody sit in, in India, when I go to India, there, when I preach, there's a man in a white robe sitting at a desk with a drum and the mallet in his hand, and I don't know what he's going to do with that. But I looked at him one time, I was preaching, he hit that drum, and I looked at him, and in my eyes were speaking, uh, were speaking Manipurian, you hit that drum again, I'm going to put it somewhere you ain't going to like it. I'm preaching. I never let him sit on that stage again while I preached. I was practicing syncretism. You don't want to practice syncretism. Just because you don't like something doesn't mean something someone else likes is wrong. One of the most beautiful things about the journey is we vote about nothing. That's why we get along. Now it's a lot more than that. I'm going to tell you this. Those who deny the book the blood, and the blessed hope. They're not only in a violent rage, they're in vicious rebellion, but there's this, this voice, this, this terrible voice of, of violent rage. Also, this voice of the sinful people has vain reasoning. Let her see. Look at the text. Rage and rebellion is followed by perverse reasoning. Look again. It says they take counsel together. They take counsel together. Have you ever heard the phrase, birds of a feather flock together? We were talking this morning about all the signs around town. We haven't noticed any D's or R's on them. We need some of you research people to let us know. We don't know if there's any D's or R's on the signs for these people that are running But I've concluded something. They're all bums because they take counsel together. We are not a government for the people. Our government is now a government for the government. But I don't want you to be, I'm just, but I'm going to show you something. It's just vain reasoning. It's vain reasoning. The word counsel means to meditate. It's the word that's used in Psalm chapter 1. It's a thought out plan and they began to rationalize away eternal truths. Ah, no, God never said that about hell. Oh, no, God just loves everybody. Oh, no, God this and that. Oh, no. Oh, me. Listen to me. This idea of take counsel together. Let me give you an example of that. The Nazis had some German... The Nazi Germans had absolutely brilliant minds. Werner Braun Braun came over here from Germany. I have a letter that he wrote my father. The movie uh, October Sky was based upon the story of my dad and two other boys. Two of them worked for NASA that shot rockets and shot a record. I've got that letter from Werner von Braun who was a Nazi that had to come over here be denazified. He is the man that put America on the moon. Brilliant man, but there were many of them that were murdered. There were brilliant, brilliant Russian scientists that were killed in the name of communism. 25 million Russians were killed in World War II. You have rage, you have rebellion, and what is taking place, they all take counsel against each other. So let me give you an illustration to think about when we pray for civil authorities and specifically why I mentioned the United Nations this morning. 
the United Nations was founded in 1945. And in order to appease the communists, the Charter of the United Nations left out the word God. There is no reference to God in the Charter of the UN. Now, why was the UN formed? Well, the United Nations was formed to bring peace to the world. And since that period of time, since 1945, we have had more wars in that time than we have ever had in all of the history of this planet before it. Dr. Adrian Rogers told a story, I can't make it my own, but he and his wife Joyce were in Washington, D.C. And they were staying in a hotel across from a very notable hotel that I think Dana may know this hotel when I tell the end of the story. And they were sitting at breakfast in this big... A huge motorcade comes in and all of these people and police and barricades. This is back like in the 90s. And uh, Dr. Rogers says that out of this limousine came this eyeglassed man with this, with this black and white checkered Arab thing. And it was Yasser Arafat, the chairman of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. And he went into this hotel. And then another motorcade pulled up and it was the Prime Minister of Israel, Shimon Peres. And he got out, and right there, Dr. Rogers said, where in, in his understanding of how the world ends, he says, right here are represented the heads of the nations that will bring about the destruction of the earth. And they're meeting in the Willard Hotel. And so the meeting goes on, and they, they have this, this meeting, and they leave. And Dr. Rogers said he went over there and he asked, what, what is this place? And they said, it's the Willard Hotel. He began to look around and I quote what he said. The Willard Hotel is the place, is the place where Julia Ward Howe wrote the battle hymn, Republic. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of His terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. It is in that hotel where that great declaration was written that two men met and never knew peace. It's vain reasoning. There's no Arab who accepts Christ as their Messiah. There is no Jew that accepts Christ as their Messiah. And yet, you look at the world, the kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers have taken counsel together against our God. So you have the voice of the sinful people. Their voice is a voice of a violent rage, a vicious rebellion, and a vain reasoning. Number two, you have the voice of what the sovereign God says in verses six and verses four, five and six. It says, "But the wicked are not so; they are like." I'm sorry, that's verse chapter one, chapter two. He who sits in the heavens laughs; the Lord mocks them. He speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his fury, saying, "But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain." What does the sovereign God say in this? What does he say? He's saying, we don't want the Lord. We don't want the Messiah. 
and the Christ, the anointed one. That's what's been said, and now God speaks. He says, he that sits in heaven shall laugh. He'll laugh. Why? Number one, derision. He speaks of derision. It is the voice of derision. God laughs. The Lord will have them in derision. In verse 4 it says, He who sits in the heavens laugh. He has them in derision. What does that mean? This is not humor. It's irony. Now listen to me and watch this. This is kind of interesting. God is sitting in heaven mocking puny man as they say, No God for us. No God for us. We're the world in a dilemma. We're in a rage. We're not going to settle down and settle into you. No God for us. Well, I'm going to tell you something. He who laughs last, laughs best. He who laughs last, laughs best. Isn't it an interesting irony when we think about Pharaoh? Who was going to destroy all the little Israelites in the land of Goshen? He was going to go wipe them away. All those little Hebrews, he was going to go drown their babies. Isn't it interesting? Don't you think that God caused Pharaoh's daughter to raise up little Moses and Pharaoh paid for his college education? Don't you think that in heaven the angels might have been laughing? I mean, this... This is the irony of the whole thing. There's derision, then there's displeasure. He says in the verse, Then he shall speak unto them in his wrath and vex them with his sore displeasure. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, it speaks of a great day of God's wrath. It speaks of a great day. I do believe God is infinite. He is an infinite God. He is the infinite Infinite one. But His grace is not infinite. He's infinite. And one day, His patience is going to run out. His patience is going to run out. Even now as we speak, the raging waters of God's fury are being held back only by the dam of His mercy. But friends, that dam is going to break. Then there's this determination. God says this word, yet. Look at it in your text. Yet. It's in the King James. But as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I love that. I love it when God says but. I I love it when God says yet. In spite of their raving, their rebellion, their reasoning, and their raging, in spite of all that they can do, God has said, we're, that they, they have said to God, we're going to cast your bonds from us, and yet God says, I am going to set my son on my holy hill as my king in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6. And that's determination. And in spite of the ranting of the atheists, 
who have a holiday for themselves called April Fool's Day, who don't want creationism taught in the school in, sp- in, fa- in spite of the modernists and the liberals who try to take away the deity of our virgin-born Son of God, in, d- in spite of the abject arrogance of mankind, in spite of all his scheming and imaginations of Satan, in spite of all that, there is one big yet in the Bible. I have set my son, my king, on my holy hill. He's the winner. Then you have the voice of what the son says. Number three, what the saving son says. Look at verses 7 through 9. I will surely tell of the decree Yahweh. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like a potter's vessel. Right here, we've had the sinful people speak. The sovereign God has spoken. Now the saving son is speaking. And listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. He talks of his a divine position. He has a divine position. He speaks of this position. What is it? He is the Son of God. The Son of God. I don't know how the Jews who claim to believe the Old Testament could get past this. God has a Son. And that Son is equated in the Psalms with the One who is called the Anointed One. My Anointed it's, a, it's acclaimed, it's ascribed to the term the Messiah. You will never, listen, write this down. You will never, ever settle the sin question until you settle the son question. Ever. To refuse the son is to refuse the father. John chapter 3, verses 35 and 36 says, A father loves his son and has given all things into his hand, and he that believes in the son has everlasting life, and he that believes not in the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. He says, I will declare a decree. The Lord said unto me, You are my son, this day I have begotten you. Listen, that's his divine position. But then here's his divine purpose in verse 8. His divine purpose in verse 8, Ask of me and I shall give you the heathen for your inheritance all the way to the ends of the earth as your possession. Why is the earth here? Why is the earth in the passage? Why does it say that? Why does He need the earth? Why are the nations here described as heathens? Or as we say in West Texas, heathens. That means those who do not, know, who do not yet know Him. Why are they spoken of here and why are they here? Why is it all made? Well, you need to read the book of Colossians. And you'll find out that it was all made by Him. Every bit of it. And it was made by Him and it's all coming to Him. It's His. And yes, in one of these days, the Lord Jesus will rule and He will reign. I love the song that was written once time ago, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth His successive journey run. His kingdom spread from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. He shall reign to the uttermost parts. Then it mentions His divine power. His divine power. It says, I shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. 
with a rod of iron. Son, I'm giving you all the power and you're going to rule. You have divine power. I have told you this. You have divine power. This follows what also, and you can write this in your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, which says this, which in his time he shall show who is blessed and only potentate, King of kings and the Lord of lords. In his time. Don't you like that? It's going to happen. It's a great thing. Brothers and sisters, God's never ahead of time and He's never late. He's never in a hurry. He knows exactly what He's doing, precisely what is taking place. He said, I'm going to put my son on my holy hill I'm going to, and He's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. He's going to be the King of kings and He's going to be the Lord of lords. And then you last of all have this, the fourth voice, what the seeking spirit says. What the seeking spirit says. To conclude, the seeking spirit begins to speak, listen to me, to the heart of the believer. He is no longer speaking to the emotions or to the intellect. He is speaking directly to the heart of the matter. Look what he says. So now, O kings, show insight, take warning, O judges of the earth, serve Yahweh with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. He gives a word of exhortation. Three things. He gives a word of exhortation quickly. Brothers and sisters, we know this to be true. He says in the passage, Show insight, take warning, O judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear. Just write down Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Holy Scriptures are able to make the wise unto salvation, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. So this is a verse of exhortation. This is a word of exhortation, but then he gives in verse 11 a word of invitation. A word of invitation. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Serve the Lord with fear. Brothers and sisters, you might want to write this in your Bible. That's one of the sweetest invitations in the Bible. That's one of the sweetest invitations in the Bible. You know, it says this in Luke chapter 7, verse 44. A woman had just kissed the feet of Jesus. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into your house, you gave me no water for my feet, and she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her own hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not put on me. But this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. I therefore say unto her, Your sins, though they are many, be forgiven. That's what it means to kiss the sun. Lavish love upon the Son of God.
the Holy Spirit is giving a word of admonition when he says, wise up! Wise up! He's given a word of invitation saying, He will receive you if you will come and kiss Him. And He gives this last word of admonition. A word of exhortation, a word of invitation, a word of admonition. There is the warning. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. And you perish in the way. Brothers and sisters, remember this. God is the God of wrath. He is the God of wrath. And the person who insists on holding on to his sin and rebelling against the Lord Jesus will inevitably be judged with his sin and he will perish. And the day of wrath is at hand. So if you look at it, it says, Blessed are they who put their trust in Him at the conclusion. Blessed are they who find refuge in Him. Outside of Him, outside of Jesus, there's danger, there's death, and there's doom. Inside, there's safety, there's certainty, there's great, great joy. Friend, find your refuge. Find your rest. Put your trust and keep on trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there was a psalm for our day, this is the psalm for our day. Because yet, we win. Because we're on the winning team. And one day, we will crown Him Lord of all when He sets His Son on that holy hill in Zion. Have you ever played checkers? Yeah. On a checkerboard, you know, it's when you're playing checkers, the idea is to win the game that you move your color, your checkers, and you move them across the checkers board until you get to what's called the king's row. And when you get to king's row, you say to your opponent, king me, crown me. (coughs) Brothers and sisters, I close with this truth. God is moving and maneuvering the checkers on the checkerboard right now. Every single circumstance. He is moving all of the affairs of the earth. And soon and very soon, He's going to move His Son into King's Row. Yet I have set my son upon a holy hill and it will be declared across the world, crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon his throne. Let's pray.